Before we begin, I want to tell you about a really funny and insightful movie podcast called I Saw What You Did. Every week, Millie DeCherico and Daniel Henderson share a double feature with a different wild theme and explore how our life stories impact the movies that we love. Millie and Danielle discuss cult classics through a feminist lens, have conversations about their film crushes throughout the ages, and provide hilarious hot takes on just about everything. New episodes come out every Tuesday. You can follow I Saw What You Did wherever you get your podcasts. The Moth is a great podcast to hear true stories told by people from all walks of life in front of live audiences. And The Moth is bringing you a very special episode about a galaxy far, far away. In honor of May the 4th, or Star Wars Day, they're going to feature hilarious and heartwarming stories about the way that Star Wars has changed people's worlds. Listen now by searching The Moth on Spotify, Apple, iHeart, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Imaginary Worlds, a show about how we create them and why we suspend our disbelief. I'm Eric Malinsky. So the beginning of my last episode, we heard from Sam Lai and his friend Mammoth Achala about the challenge of dressing up for Halloween when you're not white. Here's Mammoth. Like, I literally cannot imagine myself as a character in Lord of the Rings, like even if I tried, which is hilarious because there's so many ridiculous characters in Lord of the Rings, but I can't imagine a person of color. <laughs> and that got me thinking about cosplay. Now, in case you're not familiar with cosplay, it's the term for when fans dress up as their favorite characters at conventions. And cosplay has gotten huge in the age of social media. Every year during San Diego Comic-Con or New York Comic-Con, all these websites will post slideshows of their favorite costumes. And one thing that I've noticed is that those slideshows rarely reflect the actual diversity of people that I see in the convention floor, certainly in New York Comic-Con. In fact, what I see all the time and almost never in slideshows, are black cosplayers dressed as characters that are not traditionally black. So a few years ago, I was really intrigued to discover this hashtag on social media, 28 Days of Black Cosplay. The movement was started by a cosplayer who calls herself Princess Mentality. Now, she declined to do an interview, but she did send a statement, which I asked cosplayer Brittany Williams to read. And she said... In 2015, I rallied up a group of friends and started 28 Days of Black Cosplay, which is a month-long celebration of black cosplayers during Black History Month every February in an attempt to create a positive, uplifting, and empowering conversation around black cosplayers. In the past, I've pushed for better representation and more inclusivity for people of color in the cosplay community and was often told to stop whining and create my own space if I wanted it so badly. So I did. All I ever wanted was to create something that we as black nerds could use to lift each other up. It makes me happier than words could ever express to see it explode the way it has. So I talked with Brittany and a bunch of other cosplayers about that hashtag and why it's so important to them. As you can imagine, the conversation went way beyond cosplay. That's just ahead after the break. Okay, so the first thing you need to know about cosplayers is that they're not just your everyday set of nerds and geeks. They're huge design nerds as well. They love talking about the craft of making costumes. So like, in fact, Brittany was in the studio with another cosplayer who goes by the name Suki, and they kept breaking into shop talk. Like here they are talking about a costume that Suki's making of an anime character. 
if you have really good like bendable like Eva foam or even if you use like Instamorph, you can make the star yeah. and the circular part. And if you have yeah. like a good amount of warbler, then that's perfectly fine. The the staff part yeah. can be like a dowel or like a like a piece of like PVC pipe. She completely lost me at Instamorph. But I do know what they're basically talking about, which is the challenge of taking two-dimensional cartoon characters or video game characters and figuring out how to depict them in real life. And they're not Hollywood costume designers. I mean, they're on a budget. The materials have to be affordable, but look fantastic. The other problem is they have to maneuver through the real world in these costumes. Like here is Harry and Gina Crossland. They're a couple from Maryland that cosplays together. Just the Assassin's Creed costume that I created for Harry. I mean, just creating it is like three or four layers just to put on the actual costume. You have your, your shirt, then you, your, your vest, then your jacket, your arm pieces, your, your boots, yeah. and then all these weapons you got to carry. You can't move in all this stuff half the time. We have to worry about when we're at these uh, conventions that we need to use the facilities. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you got to find a way to make it so it's easy to get on and off without somebody being there. On top of everything else, just carrying your phone or stuff that you got to carry around all day. You gotta, yeah. You got to make some kind of sleeve or, or a pocket or, or pocketbook, whatever, to put this stuff in. So those are practical challenges that every cosplayer faces. But black cosplayers have to deal with a lot more than that. Again, here's Brittany and Suki. My first anno- dumb, annoying comment was said in um, out of love, and I get, I feel like that made it worse. So or, much worse. Yeah. Like they, she, like they she mean meant well it. By she it, meant but... it with love, and it was um, when the first time I was prepping to do cosplay, and uh, or like for a convention that I was prepping to do it, and I'm I made my list of characters that I wanted to be, and I was like, oh, I could be this, and I could be this, and I could be this, and I could be this. My friend who was white, she she was like, well, you can't be those characters, and I was like, why can't I be those characters? She was like. They're not black. You could be these characters. And she named, like, three characters from shows that I did not watch who happened to be black. And, like, one is, like, you could be Anthe from Utena. And I was like, I don't I don't watch that show. I'm Sailor Moon. I'm not. And if I'm going to be a character from Utena, I'm going to be Utena. I'm going to be the lead. I'm not going to be a secondary character. Like, I don't. That's not what I do. Yeah, it's almost like assuming that you're only going to identify with, with that, yeah. one that one minority character. Yeah. And it's like, that's not how no. it works. Yeah. At Especially all. because they're usually like background characters. If they're not the secondary character, then they're like tertiary yeah, they're like, characters. Like the sidekick I'm or like, something. No, I'm the lead. We, exactly. <laughs> I'm sorry. We Did you not get that? No, that's not what we do here. And, yeah. it was, and it's so funny you say that because it's just like I cosplayed Raven from mm-hmm. Teen Titans. And it's just like I've actually had someone go, oh, why don't you just be Bumblebee? And I'm just like, um, as much as as much butt as Bumblebee kicks, I love Raven. But I'm right. just and somebody's just like, um, but Raven's white. I'm like, first of all, no, she's not. She's not even human. She's Azerathian and she is half demon. She her and her skin is gray. So your argument is fully invalid. Harry Crossland had a similar experience, but he took the advice in a different direction. He was talking with these friends at Baltimore Comic-Con named Trent and Mike, and one of them said, you should really dress as Bishop, who is one of the X-Men that's black. And, and, and the people that we run with, we're all uh, from different backgrounds and different races. Trent's white, the other guy, Mike, Mike is black, and I forgot who the other person was, but Trent was really hung up on the idea. He said, dude, you got the height, you got the size, you should do it. I said, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe. I think about it. So I thought about it. And I think maybe about two or three weeks later, I showed Gina the idea. Gina liked it and said, okay, well, 
let's run with it. Let's let's just see what happens. Say either it'll be a big hit or nobody will care because Bishop is a character right now that you're rarely seeing in the comic books. So when Harry finally debuted his Bishop costume, it was a big hit. Because overall, fans do love seeing cosplayers who manage to pull it off and look like real-life versions of fictional characters. Bishop has actually become his calling card. Like, online, Harry is known as Bishop Cosplay. And the funny thing is, Gina just did her version this past year. <laughs> I, I felt left out, actually, for him doing these, this Bishop all this time. And I said, you know what? I need something to, to match him and try to do something that's not actually Bishop, but similar to Bishop. So I said, let me put a spin on it because I had this afro that I wanted to use. And I said, let me make a 70s Bishop. And Harry wasn't too happy about that one. <laughs> <laughs> and that actually, yes, same re- reaction. People were like, whoa. <laughs> but Harry is just as proud of his Superman costume, which has Kryptonian armor like in the movie Man of Steel. His wife, Gina, has a similar costume, but it's Wonder Woman with Amazonian armor. The problem is, and this is this is happening, you know, amongst my own folk as well. They're, they're, you know, when they see us doing these these different spins, you know, they've asked us like, okay, well, are you the Universe twenty four version of Superman, or are you the, are you the Black version of Superman? Are you this version? Are you that version? I've I've had people ask Gina, are you Nubia, which is like one of the Black Amazons, and so on and so on and so forth. And I'm like, no, I'm just Superman. And, you know, there have been times I've actually gotten into debates with people like, well, you know, and and they didn't want to come out and say it and say, well, you know, Superman is white. You know, they try to say, well, you know, if you did this or if you added this to your army, you could be that version. I'm like, I don't want to be that version. I'm the version that you see in front of you. So talking with these cosplayers, I noticed a few themes coming up over and over again. First, pride in their craftsmanship and wanting to be recognized for that. Second, a desire to come up with your own spin on a character that stands out, maybe says something. And third, a yearning for community. That's why Brittany writes for the website Black Nerd Problems. So, haha, Black Nerd Problems is uh, a culture website. Uh, and I like to say that we, we report on the convergence between nerd culture and black culture. Suki often wondered where those two cultures overlapped when she was growing up in Coney Island in Brooklyn. Not for nothing, like when people think of Coney Island, they automatically think of the mermaid parade, like the rides, the the hot dog eating contest, the boardwalk and the beach don't ever go in the water. But out of the like out of all the people that I've met there, I've probably met three or four other people that were into like nerd that were into like nerd culture and into cosplay. And it's just like when I'm walking around in cosplay, because I remember one time for New York City Pride, I actually cosplayed as Rainbow Dash. Because why the hell not? Wait, what's Rainbow Dash? <laughs> From My Little Pony. Ah. Oh. Friendship is Magic. Yes, that show's good. So. <laughs> You're just like, by the way, friendship is magic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm walking through the neighborhood, and I've had, like, so many people staring at me, and one of them, like, was my neighbor. And they're all looking at me like, what the hell does she have on? <laughs> yeah. They look at me, like, with this stereotype, because, like, I've actually gotten this all the time growing up. Like, yo, you're black. Why are you, like, why are you doing all this, quote-unquote, white people stuff? Yeah, I guess, like, my experience, I've never had, like, I never ran into any black people who were like, this is this is not what black people do. Like, it's always been like, I'm not into that, but you are, so, okay, whatever. Lucky um, you. And it's, <laughs> I know for me, uh, the, the scariest part of, or the most nerve-wracking part of doing cosplay is getting from your home 
to your destination. So like getting from home to the convention or from home to the party or wherever you're going. And uh, right now I'm living in Crown Heights. And so I I did a casual cosplay at New York Comic Con last year of Stephanie Brown, Batgirl. And so I'm just walking to the train and I notice like people staring at me like, who is this black girl in this bad blonde wig? And it's just it, it. But as soon as you come, as soon as you see other cosplayers, it's like, you spend yeah. the whole time on your way there while you're by yourself, like on the train or in the car or in the cab, and like your shoulders are up near your ears, and you're like, okay, I just need to, just let me see one more person, just let me see one more person, because sometimes it feels like you're just going to show up at the convention, and you're going to be the only one in costume, so there's always like that fear, and as soon as you see like, you see like off in the distance, somebody carrying some kind of like long staff, then your shoulders drop, everything in you relaxes, and you're like, it's fine. But as I mentioned earlier... Websites often don't feature a variety of people when they do Comic-Con slideshows and videos. Because the thing is, when you have other people out there that have never cosplayed, they have never been to a comic convention, and they want to go, especially when they are of a minority, when they're people that are nervous about their body type, when they see the video and all they see on the videos are young, skinny people. Mm -hmm. Regardless of what color you are, young and skinny and, and and that's all you see, then that's going to make you less want to go out and cosplay. So what did you think of the hashtag when it started, the uh, 28 Days of Black Cosplay? Oh, I was all on it. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I thought it was the best thing ever. Suki felt the same way. She started a revolution. Yeah. When you think about it, she started one of the nerdiest, geekiest, artiest, cosplayiest revolutions in the black community and it's gone so far yeah. off the grid and it's actually gone worldwide because there are cosplayers not just in the states uh, there are black cosplayers in canada black cosplayers in the united kingdom black cosplayers in the netherlands and it's just so so beautiful to look at it's like a bat signal we can we call out to each other yes like say like you're someone in the middle of like the middle of nowhere in Wisconsin and you're like, I kind of I heard I kind of want to do cosplay, but I don't know what to do. I don't know. Do black people even do this? I don't know. Then just hit the look hashtag. There you go. And I, most of these cosplayers, if you reach out to them and you say, hey, I love your costume. I love what you did. Do you have any advice for me? Where did you buy this? Where do you get your wig? How do you style your wig? What products do you use? What kind of fabric dye do you use? Where do you buy your fabric? Just oh, about every cosplayer is ready to give you tips and ready to share. Yeah, so. I've never not met a cosplayer that didn't give advice on how they did their cosplays. Yes. It's beautiful networking. Like if you do cosplay hair and cosplay makeup and it's like somebody has like their hair and their makeup on point and be like, oh my God, your makeup looks great or your hair is so good or your wig is so on point. It's like, girl, let me tell you who did my makeup or yes. let me tell you where I got my wig or let me tell you who did yeah. my hair. I will give you her number right now, honey. Yes. So the hashtag 28 days of black cosplay actually last year was 29 days because it was a leap year, has created this instant sense of community. But sadly, it also sparked a very predictable backlash. Harry says the ugliest comments are usually on bulletin boards or other anonymous websites. But he's been asked questions like, Well, you know, why you guys got to do 28 days of cosplay? What if what if we went and we took a month and we had to remind them, like, you got the rest of the year. <laughs> <laughs> We're taking the shortest month. <laughs> And there's a larger battle they've had to fight. A shocking number of white cosplayers have taken to wearing blackface when dressing as characters that are traditionally black. And those cosplayers will fiercely defend what they're doing without seeming to know much about the history of blackface. 
when you decide that, okay, I'm going to do Storm or I'm going to do Michonne from Walking Dead and I got everything else right, I even got the wig, but now I'm going to color my skin, that's no. And widen my nose. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah. There, there was a young lady in Germany who did that and who decided she wanted to get a prosthetic for her nose. Because I feel like this. Um, my skin is not your costume. You know, for as many people that actually want to die on that hill and defend the practice of blackface, I tell them, I say, well, I do Superman. How would you guys feel if I went out and I painted my skin to, to appear white and then got a spit curl? The most common argument they get from blackface cosplayers is that they're doing the same thing as other cosplayers who put on red makeup to play Hellboy or green makeup to play Hulk or Gamora from Guardians of the Galaxy. You can do Gamora, like you can put on green makeup. Does that make it racist? Is that weird? Like if I put and on I'd green like makeup know, or if I put I on like, to, blue makeup or... And it's I just like, tell no, them, it's not I the need same. you to go on Facebook right now and go through your friends list and see which one of them actually has green skin that was born of this planet. Right. That's literally what I tell them. Which one of your Facebook friends has green skin or has purple skin? I'd like to meet them right now and ask them if they think it's racist. And if you can't find me not one person with green skin or purple skin or blue skin, then I need you to shut all the way up. (laughs) But they're actually really impressed when they see non-black cosplayers play black characters without blackface. Like, like, for instance, um, I saw this Asian lady do Michonne at Baltimore Comic Con. It was it was spot on. Great. I was like, and I told her, I, I pulled her aside. I said, ma'am, thank you so much. <laughs> Suki once saw a white cosplayer dressed as Mike Tyson. He was bald. He had the face tattoo and everything and was and did a great job. And like when somebody was like, you have the great Mike Tyson cosplay, he's like the guy said himself. Yeah, I don't understand why people have the blackface in order for it to be accurate. Having to constantly referee these issues can be exhausting. I mean, that's not why they went into cosplay. They got into cosplay because it's fun. I mean, personally, I have great admiration for anyone who does this because I am way too self-conscious to dress up even in Halloween. But I love going to Comic-Cons and seeing cosplayers because it makes me feel like a mere mortal in ancient Greece walking among the gods and demigods of Mount Olympus. And for cosplayers who walk those halls and see the faces of people like me who ask to take their picture, it can be exhilarating. Gina and Harry told me a story that sums that up Pretty nicely. You build confidence by doing that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why these people, I mean, I, that's why I do it, but I think why a lot of people do it. So I feel like a celebrity for a day. Even my <laughs> father who came to Baltimore once, he said, y'all like a celebrities. People just come up to you and want to take a picture. I said, yeah, it feels I good, don't it? All the time. <laughs> <laughs> Tell them about Stan Lee. Oh, okay. <laughs> Cause that matter of fact, that was the first year I did Bishop. Uh-huh. We were um, we were at New York Comic Con. This was our, this was our second year in New York Comic Con, and I just kind of looked to my right, and Stan Lee and his entourage was coming because he had just got finished doing a signing, and they was taking him to his room, and they're walking along the side of the wall because you know it was kind of one of those things they didn't want to attract too much attention, so. You know, whoever whoever his handler was wasn't paying attention because it was a whole bunch of bags thrown on the floor. So Mr. Lee trips and he almost falls. So I catch his, I, I catch him and I'm like, You okay? And he looked over and said, I'm okay. He looks again, he said, 
great costume. <laughs> that was a great Stan Lee impersonation. <laughs> <laughs> and he kept on going. I'm just standing like, wow, thank you. As Stan Lee would say, enough said. Well, that's it for this week. Thank you for listening. Special thanks to Harry and Gina Crossland. Sometimes we don't go to the movies to actually see the movies. We go to the movies to get the cosplay idea. Like, that movie sucked, but the costume was awesome. (laughs) Special thanks to Brittany, Sookie, and Monica Hunasakati, who writes for Black Nerd Problems and arranged my interview with them. You might have heard her laughing in the background. You know, the show I was wondering in terms of cosplayers is the pose. Like every time I'm like, can I take a picture? And they're like, sure. You and have just, to like, know get it. In. You yeah. have to know it. You if you don't know your pose, that's. I feel like that's the worst thing you could do in cosplay is like not have a signature pose. Because there, there's at least like two or three that a character has. And if you don't do it, then you're just like, it's like, why are you even here? <laughs> what are you even doing? Imaginary World is part of the Panoply Network. I tweeted E. Belinsky. You can like the show on Facebook, and I'll post images of the cosplayers we heard today on my site, imaginaryworldspodcast.org. Welcome to a journey into the heart of the Texas Renaissance Festival, the nation's largest and rowdiest celebration of medieval fantasy. But what lurks beneath the facade of tights and turkey legs? Well, we dove deep into the empire to uncover a history marred by mystery and misconduct, murders, assaults, and other crimes that tarnish its legacy. This isn't just a fairy tale. It's a cautionary tale of power, fantasy, and the consequences that follow when they all collide. Search for Crime Waves Renaissance Texas on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening now. On a summer night, Douglas Wagg Jr. lay motionless across a strip of railroad tracks before being struck by an oncoming train. I'm investigative journalist Delia D'Ambra, and my investigation into exactly how Doug died took me into the depths of a bizarre mystery. It was really hard to understand what was fact and what wasn't. A mystery that has led me from one suspicious death to another. Listen to CounterClock now, wherever you listen to podcasts.